Today's guest is Atul Dingra. Atul is an ML engineer at PayPal, where he's working on driving generative AI into all aspects of a customer's journey. He's had a wide-ranging career that started with a fascination with facial recognition and authentication. This led to a passion for computer vision and how it's applied in different contexts. Since then, he's worked in healthcare, self-driving cars, and retail. In our chat, we dive into his latest research, common mistakes ML startups make when building their stack, and more. Atul, thank you so much for joining us. Now, looking at your background, you've worked on so many different industries and different aspects of the machine learning world. Taking a look back on your career, what would you say were some of the inflection points that led to where you are now? Yeah, that's a good question. So my journey kind of started out in my undergrad. I originally started my undergrad at the place called Delhi College of Engineering back in India, in Delhi. I was doing an engineering undergrad in instrumentation and control, which is kind of far away from computer science and anything that I'm doing right now. But that was more of a kind of a probative sense of what do I want to do with my career. And at that point, I'd explored a lot of options, options areas, microcontrollers, vision, image processing, and all. But the first real kind of inflection, the first kind of chapter in my career was at IT Delhi when I was a visiting researcher for about four years. Hmm. I worked on various problems in biometrics, specifically on authentication. Yeah, fun fact is, so how your eyes look at a screen or a page of paper, it's very, very unique to you. So that's how my kind of interest peaked into this image processing pattern recognition world. Published hmm. some work from there, but... From there on out, I realized I wanted to kind of get more into computer science rather than being more in electrical, like hands-on engineering roles. So moved to Rutgers for my master's degrees. There I worked on quite a few problems, but the prominent ones were around face verification, identification. And that was what my kind of academic career kind of looked like. After that, moved into industry, held a few roles, started out the digital health startup working mostly on like medical claims here on how do you order patients for effective care. That is how I started out. I worked on other problems, just self-driving vehicles, and more recently worked on an autonomous checkout startup as well. And recently I started at PayPal working on a lot of Gen AI initiatives there. With that early start in biometrics and facial verification and identification, what aspects of that interested you the most? I really like the fact that you could feed in data to an algorithm and tells you what's can, finds out the patterns for you, right? So it was illuminating at that point. Like this was early 2011, 2012. And I just started out and it was kind of magic to me in some <laughs> sense. I think that is one of the kind of key things that led me down that path that you could teach an algorithm to do what you are potentially doing, right? And one of my lifelong kind of side projects has been to do this at a high level on can you replicate most of the senses that a human has and most of my jobs or in an industry or in academy yeah. as well kind of reflected that. Is this a side project you currently have? Yeah, that's this like 10 year running project. I keep tinkering with it, try to see where I can improve things. Yeah. Behind you in a different room, is there like a giant lab with a bunch of sensors everywhere? <laughs> no, it's yeah, the beauty of the computer vision and everything <laughs> can be on GitHub. <laughs> yeah, awesome, awesome, cool. Let's see. So, well, in working across all of those different companies and side projects too, that they're all very different cultures and sizes, and I imagine very different tech stacks there. What would you say in comparing a lot of the 
startups that you've worked at, as well as the big companies. What are the differences in ML architecture and processes of the two that you would highlight? I think the key difference is at the zero to one stage where you're kind of thinking about an idea and trying to execute the first MVP. That's, I believe, where the startups have an edge, where you have that agility to move fast, break things, kind of a culture. But when it kind of comes to bigger companies, bigger companies, I feel like the key value lies in how you scale effectively. So when you're like at thousands of scale or like tens of thousands of scales, that is where you know, bigger companies play a better role. You could imagine that like Instagram is coming out with another feature that they'll be able to serve billions of customers much more effectively if you were to start out a photo sharing app on your own, right? So I think that's the key difference on agility, like moving fast versus kind of putting that scale forward because more is at stake at that point. I think that's a key difference. Hmm. This is a area, it seems, you spent quite a bit of uh, thought on. So it seems you published quite a bit of research as well. And you recently wrote a paper called Scaling ML Product Startups, a Practitioner Guide. What experiences led you to write this? It was more of a thought experiment on how do you think about the ML stack overall at different stages of a company or different stages of product. So I typically in my head breakdown. And this is kind of driving more from like AV self-driving industry. You can imagine the initial MVP is, can you drive on a road in SF? The next scale that you're thinking about is, okay, can I drive around a block in SF? Versus the next big thing is going to be, can I drive autonomously throughout the city, right? So that's in my head what you think about different kind of progressions of the product, if you will. And how does you know, scaling or how does the ML kind of workflows change overall in these three different buckets. Right? So initially, when you're an MVP, like zero to one stage, you don't really care about anything. You just need to prove your product market effectively mm-hmm. to get out your product. The key challenge lies when you're actually transitioning from this one to five to like five to 10,000 skill, right? How do you you know, take your existing infrastructure, make sure that you're now cost-effective to go to that scale? Because initially, as you may like, no, everybody kind of wants to get to the fastest solution possible. That might not be the most economical solution possible. But when you need to start showing scale, how do you kind of go from like zero to one to like 10,000 of these pairs or these kind of products, right? So that was mostly kind of thought process around how do you break down costs, fixed costs and like variable costs. And yeah, I would like you to yeah. kind of read that. And that was a good thought experiment. And in producing that research paper, you talk with lots of different companies and getting insights as to what their ML product life cycles are. Was it challenging collecting that information? Yeah, definitely challenging. But I wrote that paper with another kind of person. He was actually one of my managers in an earlier job. So yeah, it was a team effort to kind of understand how different people do things <laughs> without kind of divulging uh, their IP, right? So yeah. it's definitely challenging. But it took us a long while to even compile it. You're at PayPal now. Tell us about some of the work that you're doing there? What types of projects are keeping you busy? Right. So PayPal can't go into a lot of specifics, but of course. <laughs> mostly I've been kind of working in like a strategic generative AI unit. We are leading a lot of efforts around how do you kind of enable Gen AI tools and technologies in a more safe, secure, and responsible way across the entire customer journey. Right. So that's the kind of charter that we are working with. But yeah, I'll share out more as I can at a later stage, but at a high level, that's what I'm doing. Mostly every aspect of like the customer journey and how can we kind of improve that overall. Okay, well, the next time I'm on PayPal, I'll <laughs> think of you. 
let's say you are working on an AI feature at startup or a big company. What does the team of people look like that are on it there? What types of talents are on AI teams at these companies? And the news that you read is very much focused on just researchers and ML engineers, but there's a wide world of other talents needed there. Could you talk a bit more about what your teams have looked like and different experiences? Yeah, I think it kind of depends on where you are at as an organization as well. Like, are you a small startup building out a new feature or are you a big company building out a new feature, right? Uh, Helen, kind of talk a little bit more about the formula because that's where my experience lies. So if you're like a startup and trying to build out a new feature, what I look for is a small team to start with. And like, been on a lot of hiring panels as well. I've seen the industry shift into more of a full stack ML role. So Mm -hmm. now just being, especially for startups, just being a researcher or an engineer or an ML engineer doesn't kind of cut it in like most of the bigger places is because you want to take your idea and be able to land it in production in some shape or form. You might not have the best scaling ability, but you should be able to kind of provide an MVP to the leadership in some sense so that you're able to take that idea and put it in production. And so that's what I'm seeing as a trend happening is, and this you typically see with staff or like principal level engineers anyways, where they start to get more acquainted with things that they're not, that they don't have the background with. But at even in the mid-senior level is what I've been looking at is like a lot of people not just having that interest to take this thing to production, but also the industry pushing them in that way that, okay, you need to have the entire set, right? So if I were to start a team, start small, have a group of few full-stack ML engineers where you can ideate a problem and be able to kind of take that from zero to one and deliver an MVP feature out of it. And then after that point, you think about it. Is this valuable enough for you to now build across in a scaling? Or like, do you want to build an infra team or do you want to build other kind of ops team around? Right. So that's how would I typically start. Looking at that process of getting something into production, there's obviously a lot of more work beyond just the product and engineering. And a challenge I know I've personally run across in the past is, especially when you're working with a lot of folks who might not know the technical details of what you're working on, there might be challenges along the path. What are some of the ways and maybe even tools that you use when you're trying to drive alignment internally at a company around ML? Right. So I think the thing that we want to look at is how do you effectively communicate ideas, right? So it's always about being able to understand from a technical perspective what you're trying to and be able to deliver it to your team, whatever they level be in their own level of understanding, right? So you never have two people agree or have the same level of understanding about the same idea, however diverse your team may be, right? So the key challenge is how do you communicate effectively across your team in a way that they understand and also message it in a way. And this is what has actually helped me a lot with my teams is how do you kind of message it in a way that people understand what is the value that they are bringing to the team or they're bringing to the product, right? So having that end-to-end visibility not just helps the product, but also your people as well on what they are building and what is the impact on the organization or the company, right? So this is how I think about having this, you know, different levels of technical ability in a team and how do you mm-hmm. kind of deliver a product in, in such a way. Speaking about teams there, now throughout your career, you've built lots of different teams and managed them as well. Outside of just technical aptitude and experience, what are some of the 
things that you look for in people that you're recruiting onto your team? I think one of the key things that I go for is look for an employee that is better than you in some area that you or your team want to be done, right? So mm-hmm. you want to always hire a better employer, a better leader. That's your mantra, right? And that kind of goes without saying for senior level folks, but even with like if you're hiring a new graduate a newbie, hiring the talent that has an aptitude kind of learn and grow is what you're looking for in an early stage employee as well. So always go for somebody who can kind of put team together. So I don't know if you've read that book, No Radical Candor, there's this mm-hmm. superstar versus rockstar kind of mentality where you have a superstar that is excelling, is going to lead your features, is going to build everything. You have a rock star that is kind of your rock of the team, right? They might not deliver as much if they were working alone, but they take the team together. So that's what you want to find, the right balance of superstars and rock stars in your team and somebody who can you know, take your team forward as well. As you're looking for these rock stars, give me favorite interview questions or techniques that you like to use throughout the process. I think how people talk, kind of, they say a lot about them. It's mostly about how do you collaborate with other people without... So the key thing that you're looking at is can you read the ego at the door, right? So there are a lot of ways to kind of suggest that, but just talking to people, you understand what their nature are and based on what the projects they've worked on, how much time they use. We worked on something versus I delivered. It's right? yeah. so always that kind of middle ground of what they worked on, what do you think the team delivered as well? Going back to ML stacks. So a lot of the big companies right now are investing tons of resources into creating different foundational models and lots of AI developer tools. From the position of a startup looking to innovate in the space, what's your general framework for figuring out what types of ML models a startup should be using off the shelf versus trying to develop something on their own? I think the strategy hasn't changed. Like if you are starting out the MVP zero to one, it's always try to get your product market fit as soon as possible, right? You want to understand how your product does. And for that, if you want to kind of leverage whatever is open source or you want to buy an enterprise solution to do that, I think this that strategy hasn't changed. What I've seen a recent shift is because of all this kind of advent of LLMs and GenAI is how fast down the stack that you go. That's where your motor is. Either your data or how fast you penetrate that stack down. It's not just like a wrapper on top of anything, but you need to stay in business how fast you can down that stack. And that's what you see like bigger companies like Google, Apple, all these bigger folks, they've kind of come down in the stack where they control a lot more functionality so that you have more of a lock-in. You can't kind of escape that environment. You can't escape that ecosystem. So having that agility to Think about, okay, I need to buy this solution to test out the product market fit, but I have a strategy to build this on my own if the costs become too much to bear to show the uh, kind of upside. That's what you want to think about. Say within the first six months of creating a ML startup, if you can generalize from your own experiences in that as an advisor or an investor, do you think there are any common mistakes that ML startups make in their early days? Yeah, I think one of the key things to look out for, and I think hindsight is always 2020, 20, right? Is hiring the right kind of people initially because those are the people who are going to stick with you for a long time, right? And if initially you hire people that don't really work well with others, you might be able to deliver the first iteration of your product, but 
you may never be able to successfully scale or successfully scale, not just with the product, but as a company, as a culture, as a organization as a whole. I think that's one of the key things that I've noticed is hiring the right talent in the beginning so that they can attract the next right talent, if you will. I think that's one thing that as a startup, starting out, people tend to neglect a lot. I mean, the first 10 employees, you need what needs to be done. But after that, you need to hire people that will take your team to the next level or take your product to the next level, thinking about scaling not just the product, but the whole people organization as well. What's next for you in terms of the research that you're working on? Can you give us a teaser of what's coming up next? Yeah, been thinking around with a lot of ideas, but keep an eye out on our kind. Mostly been delving into Gen AI side of things. Uh, actually, personally moved more of an IC role just to get my hands dirty yeah. <laughs> at this point because, yeah, you can't miss this journey at this point in any case, right? So, but yeah, a lot of things happening in Gen AI space. Keep an eye out on our archive and I'll keep you posted. Huh, cool. Looking at the broader industry then, is there an area of AI tools and research that you're following closely right now, part of it that you're most excited about? I think one of the kind of underrated things at this point, again, this might be my perspective is ML psychops. I think that's going to be big given like this advent of new threats or like new type of issues that is facing around prompt injections, leakage, yeah. and so on and so forth. Right. So I think ML psychops is going to become big in the coming times. And if you had asked me this question, like five years ago, I've been preaching MLOps is going to be big, but it's in the past now. But I do feel like MLOps is going to take off really big if you want to adopt these general technologies at a scale where we feel safe using that, not just as a user level, but from an enterprise. Yeah. Obviously, very nascent space, but do you think there are any particularly interesting companies in that space or any market leaders at this point? I don't know if there's a clear market leader, but there are a lot of startups kind of open sourcing these inventory packages even get started, right? Like you want to understand what the vulnerabilities are with your models, with your data, with all the pipelines that you have so that you're at least prepared to make the right calls at the right points in time. But yeah, I think it's still too early to say it's going to be the leader at yeah. this point, but yeah. Well, the very last question I have for you, Atul, is to time travel a bit. And let's say you could go back in the past to write about when you were entering graduate school. What would you have changed about what you studied then, knowing what you know now? Looking back, I would say focus, right? I was split to 10 on a lot of different things. At that point, everything looked great to explore. But yeah, 80-20 rule is what you want to follow, right? <laughs> Most of your gains are going to come from some small niche thing that you want to work on. But yeah, again, hindsight is 2020, always 2020. So I think if I were to go back, I would probably focus on the right things instead of looking at a lot at the same time, which, yeah, so that's my advice to my oh. So The converse of that question, looking at your time back in school, are there any particular courses that you think were most influential in how you think now? One of the that's course on ML that I took and just to kind of set context, like I mentioned, my background in undergrad was in CS. One of the ML courses was a PhD level course that I took at Rutgers. So before each lecture, I had to basically read up on a different <laughs> course just to understand what's going on. So I think that was pivotal because that helped me kind of get up to speed. And oh, that's a kick in the butt. Awesome. Well, Atul, thank you so much for sharing yourself and your uh, stories with us. Lots of actionable things in there. 
I'm looking forward to seeing what you do next. Nice talking to you, Chef. This podcast is brought to you by H10. Part about advanced technology that never changes is the need for the right people to design, build, and manage it. H10 offers just that with an on-demand talent and management service that covers all aspects of engineering, program management, and AI. Trusted by over 400 companies, including half of the Fortune 10, H10 is here to help lighten your load and make you the hero. 